the first national bank, you know, Madison's big problem with it was we didn't we never planned to to create a national bank, Hamilton, you know, you imagine the conversation, the debate. We never created we never thought we would do that. We we debated it. Madison himself, I I I, I would guess the vote the actual roll call in the convention wasn't taken, but there was a vote on whether or not the federal government could charter private corporations and the vote lost. I'm guessing Madison voted in favor of it. Uh because Madison, uh, that that's the sort of policy that that he would have supported, all else being equal. But all else was not equal, right? We did not build institutions to manage a GSE like the First Bank successfully, right? And what did you see with the First Bank, right? We it, it's created by Congress, and Congress simply, and this is the point, Congress lacked the capacity to keep the GSE under control. And what happens? Well, Jefferson and Madison are good friends with the clerk of the of the first clerk of the House of Representatives, and he and he keeps a list. Here are the members of Congress who own bank shares, and here are the members of Congress who have insider information and have been supplied insider information by the bank itself. And Jefferson writes to Washington and says, "Look, if there was an honest up or down vote on the bank itself." it would lose. The only reason it is still around is because enough members of Congress have been bought off. And that's the problem with it, right? That was the problem with the bank, is that it turned around, it was created by the government, but then it turned around to lobby it. This is Madison, in a letter to Jefferson, he wrote, um, talked about the, the the shareholders of the bank. They, they called them stock jobbers, he writes. The stock jobbers will become the Praetorian band of the government, at once its tool and its tyrant, bribed by its largesses and overawing it by clamors and combinations. And what, it, what he means by that is that the government created the bank, and the government made the bank, the, the people who held bank shares were better off because of because of the government's action. And they turned around and they used some of the benefits they gave, gave it back to members of Congress effectively to buy them off. And we, so let's go, that's sort of the context to think about Fannie and Freddie and how, uh, you're right, history repeats itself. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are similar institutions. They're private institutions with public charters. And they have the implicit bank backing of the United States government. Investors in Fannie and Freddie believed that if they got into trouble, the federal government would bail them out. And as it turned out, they were correct in that belief. And that enabled the GSEs, that enabled Fannie and Freddie to borrow money at substantially lower rates and effectively corner the secondary mortgage market, right? Mortgages are originated at your local bank, but then they would be sold to Fannie and Freddie that would then bundle them into investment vehicles and sell them on the open market. And they were able to do this at a cut rate price because of this federal subsidy, which the, at around 2000, the Congressional Budget Office ends up valuing the subsidy at, at around $10 billion. And I actually think they up, upgraded it to $20 billion. Right. But what the CBO found, and this is what things is really interesting, is that so that's the federal subsidy. That's the benefit to Fannie and Freddie for their public charter. But they only turned a portion of the subsidy back over to the consumers in the form of lower mortgage rates. They kept the rest of it for themselves. And so the executives of Fannie and Freddie were able to collect jaw-droppingly large bonuses. But more importantly, for the purposes of my story about corruption, they took all it took was just a tiny fraction of this $10 billion subsidy. Plow it back into the political process, right? 
through campaign contributions, through an extensive lobbying network, through strategic charitable giving. Oh, you know, this member of Cong Congress is on the Financial Services Committee, and his mother runs some affordable housing charity. So we're gonna do we're gonna donate tens of thousands of dollars to her. You know, that buys you a friend for life. They would open offices, regional offices in states and congressional districts, and they would hire the relatives and friends of members of Congress. They were able to do all of this because of their federal subsidy. And what did that what did all of this lobbying buy them? It bought them freedom to do whatever the heck they wanted. And what they wanted to do was, you know, basically if they were any other any other company would have been ruined for that enron they had they were using this is the most amazing thing to me about fannie mae and freddie mac after the enron accounting scandal came out freddie mac had an independent outside auditor look at its books because they were using uh, they were using Arthur Anderson as their auditor, and it came back that Fannie and Freddie were in disastrous shape financially, or at least their books were disastrous, and and all of the sort of stuff that Enron was doing, um, you know, Fannie and Freddie were doing a lot of that as well. Uh, and, this, and and look what happened in the wake of the Enron scandal, right? We got you know we got regulatory reform, um, we we got Sarbanes Oxley, right? After Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, it comes out that they have a bunch of accounting problems too. What happens? Nothing happens. Nothing happens because of the lobbying operation of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were able effectively to buy members of Congress into leaving them alone. And not only not only that, but they turn around a couple years later and they start diving heavily into uh, the subprime mortgage market, which was a very dangerous thing for them to do. And they were not you know, they were not clear with their investors about how heavily involved they were in that market. So it wasn't just that nothing happened. It's that is that they went out, they turned around in response to that that crisis with the accounting crisis, and they created another crisis that was even worse. And all of that was possible because they had effectively purchased the Congress. It gets back exactly to what Madison said, right? They the members of Congress were bribed, bribed in effect by by Fannie and Freddie, and they were overawed by it. They simply could not resist it. That, to me, is how political corruption relates intimately to big government. Big government favors some interest or group that draws a benefit from the government's stimulation, and they take a portion of that benefit they receive from the government and plow it back into the political system to make sure the benefit streams continue, even if it's bad for the country at large. And you can tell the same story, and in, in my book I tell the same story about farm subsidies and about Medicare and about corporate taxation. It's the same story again and again. These interest groups that derive some financial gain from federal policy will do everything they can to make sure that those policies continue, and Congress lacks the capacity to, to resist their clamors.